Hi, thanks for joining us this morning. I'm Chrissy Mernon, and my guest is Don Foster. He is the founder of the Angel Eyes Foundation. So he's going to tell us what the Angel Eyes Foundation is. It's a nonprofit organization, and a, a co-worker told me about Don, and he said he's a very interesting person who helps um, women or men in domestic violence situations get themselves out of those situations. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. Actually, we help women, men, and children. Our goal is to teach children that the the abusive situation is not the way they have to live. Just because they grow up that way doesn't mean they have to live that way, continue the cycle. We Mm -hmm. want to break the cycle. How did the Angel Eyes Foundation come about, and what's your background? Well, my background is 25 years of transportation. Um, I recently got into bodyguard service and private security, and I met a woman who had two children who were teenagers, and uh, she was a two-time survivor of domestic abuse along with the two children, their their real father and their stepfather, horrible people. Um, And when I, when I sat with them, my wife, my wife now used to work for me and her kids would come in every day after school and they'd sit in my office and they'd tell me these stories about what they've went through in their lifetime. And it reflected on to me after a period of time, I thought, you know, that's, that's exactly, my dad was an emotional and he was physical with my mother, but he was emotionally abusive to uh, me and my siblings so I grew up the same way, being emotionally detached and emotionally abusive to the women I was married to and the women I, was, I have dated in the past. And I got this thinking, you know, it was like Michael Jackson, you know, this, the song, The Man in the Mirror. Well, these children were the mirror, and I'm looking at myself thinking, man, I've got to make a, I've got to make a choice. I've, I've got to break this. I can't go on perpetuating the same thing. So... I started making a change in my life. Well, it turned out their mother and I started dating and turned uh, turned into a really good situation. We ended up getting married. Uh, my two children, my stepchildren, but they are my children, they were borderline of continuing the same cycle they grew up in. And because I was able to make that change and mentor them, they changed drastically. And from the age of 13 and 11, they ended up graduating. Both of them graduated in early 16s. My son graduated 16 and a half, went to the Air Force. I uh, ended up becoming the youngest ever to go to Arlington Cemetery as a presidential honor guard straight out of Lackland. My daughter is in her second year of uh, college over at St. Mary. She graduated at 16. First, as far as I know, to ever live on the uh, campus at 16. Has done really, really well. So if that worked for us, we should be able to do this and do the same thing for others. And eventually our goal would be to break the cycle of abuse and teach children that there is a better way to live and a different way to coexist with someone, basically. So, Don, explain this for people who don't understand. You know, when uh, you hear about somebody was, um, was a victim of this horrible abuse and then they grow up, and then they repeat it, and you think, why would you do that horrible thing that was done to you? So you you can answer that? Well, you you continue to do it because that's that's what you know. As And during our young adolescent years, you're programmed by your parents. I mean, like, like animals. Animals mimic their parents. Same thing with people. People mimic their parents. 
And if you don't know any better and you've never been treated any better, then you don't expect to be treated any better. Uh, once your self-esteem is beat down and you're, you're used to that, it's kind of like being a POW. Instead of POW, it's a POM. That's what we, we use that term when we go out and do counseling. Instead of being a prisoner of war, you're a prisoner of marriage. Because you have one abuser who's in control and then you have the subservient. And no one has to be subservient. Everyone deserves to be equal. And uh, through the abuse, they threaten them with taking their children. They threaten them with taking their houses. They threaten them with losing all their friends. They threaten them with so many different things. I mean, the level of abuse these days is probably 25 different things that we have discovered you could use against someone to keep control over them. And that's not right. So what is it? Why, why does somebody want to have control over somebody else? You know, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know why that is. It's, uh, it's just something in, inside. I guess it's the animal instinct inside of us to, to be, or maybe it's inferiority. And, Insecurity and, and... I mean, you know, America wants to control a lot of things. Russia wants to control a lot of things. But when you get down to the household, I think it's inferiority of the abuser. It makes them feel superior to be able to control someone. Mm -hmm. Weaker than them gives them a little bit more manhood or I guess if it's a female, I guess it just gives them control, gives mm -hmm. them power. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why we don't live as equals. I know why I didn't. That was the way I grew up. But now my wife and I are equals. Mm -hmm. My children are as equal as we as we are because that's how we that's how we've done so well in the last seven years of being together. So how do you turn it around? Can you do it by yourself or do you need professional help? You've really got to want to do it. Um, you've got to face the demon inside of you. I still face it every single day. You I mean, just conquer it every day. There, yes, ma'am. There's there's days where I'm really short fused, really you know bad temper, and I just have to go and think. Hey, listen, I've got all of this that I've that I that I I'm risking losing. It's not easy. Um, and anyone who says it is easy, these uh, a doctor, psychologist, I don't necessarily agree with their philosophies or their methods. I haven't seen that work as much as actually going out and sitting down and telling people that I have had the problem, I overcome it. If I go to you as a psychologist and say, listen, these are my problems, and you've got somebody sitting on the other side of the desk who's not honest with you, they put up the facade that they're always perfect. I mean, that's what you think when you go see a doctor, right? They're perfect. They don't have any problems. Wrong. <laughs> they just don't. They're never honest with you. So the one thing that we have found that works best is sitting down and talking and communicating with people one-on-one. -on -one. We tell them we have had our problems. We still have our problems every single day. We're not perfect. And that's the one thing I found that does work because people relate to someone who's going through the same thing. If you've never been in a domestic situation, how can you help someone in a domestic assist, uh, situation? I mean, how can you really understand? I think you can be helpful, but I don't think you can really under really understand it until you you've walked those, right. walked those footsteps. Yeah, Right. So, and I mean, you know, it's like me. I, I couldn't build a rocket because I've never built one, but I know what it's like to be abused. My wife and I are both survivors, and we have done a really good job of turning this around. And we want to help others, and we want to bring awareness to the younger generation 
of how abuse starts, the signs of seeing abuse, the signs to recognize it and know when to run and and ask for help. So how did the Angel Eyes Foundation come in? Well, the nickname Angel Eyes was what I had named my wife when we started dating because she has these beautiful eyes and and uh, she was really sick when I first met her. In fact, she had uh, progressed to even being in a wheelchair because of physical abuse from her ex-husbands. Um, come to find out, a Christian-based uh, chiropractor saved her life. She had been to chiropractors. She had been to um, Baylor, Scott & White, all these high-dollar, you know, fancy places that were supposed to be able to solve the problems of the world, <laughs> you know? Uh, and she kept getting worse and worse and worse, and she ended up in a wheelchair and one day I called a, a chiropractor, and they said, bring her in, and they took x-rays. And what it was was because of the abuse, it had turned the two bottom vertebrae, one an eighth of an inch each way, just above the tailbone. And that was shutting down her colon, her kidneys, her digestive system, and it was making it impossible for her body to absorb uh, the nutrition that it needed, and it was cutting off all the electrical nerve uh, impulses to make it able to walk. So this, this guy, and we didn't have any money at that point. We had ended up losing our jobs and because of the uh, transportation crash in uh, early 2000s. Transportation was dropping off. Jobs were scarce. And uh, so anyway, he took the time and he made a deal with me. He said, sir, he says, I can fix your wife. It'll be $7,000. I said, huh. I'm sorry, you know, as a grown man, I'm sitting there, I'm crying, I'm thinking, there's hope, and now $7,000, I can't do that. So he said, listen, he points to the ceiling, along the ceiling, he had three plaques up there, his father was a chiropractor, his grandfather was a chiropractor, and his great-grandfather was a chiropractor, and they had instilled in him that no one should ever go untreated. So anyway, he said, listen, if what can you afford every week if I was to put your wife in treatment? I said, I've got $40 a week. I said, I'm the only, I'm the sole, sole uh, moneymaker for the house. I said, I've got two teenagers in school, and I have a wife who's taken 45 pills a day sometimes for the pain and different things. He says, well, you pay me $40 a week, bring her in here three times a week for two hours. He said, I don't care if it takes seven years to pay me out. He said, if she's doing better in 30 days, we'll keep going. In 60 days, we'll reevaluate. 90 days, she'll be out of a wheelchair, I hope. I said, you know, I just don't know how to even repay the guy for what he did. So we we did. I paid him uh, the $40 a week. He brought her in. He did that. Got her up. Got her walking. And uh, that's, that's how we ended up forming this because we decided at that point six years ago that we were going to help individuals so they didn't end up like her and her two kids. So we started helping one person at a time. And then I met a couple of people here in San Antonio who challenged me to do this on a big scale. I said, what do you mean a big scale? I said, you need to help thousands of people, millions of people possibly. I'm like, how do I do that? And they said, well, you're a bodyguard. Talk to your boss. Get them to allow you to work under their license. And uh, I do. I work for Bear County Protective Services as a bodyguard. And then I have the nonprofit organization. So when we go to a rescue, I work under their license. Mm -hmm. And we go with guns and get people, extract them, and move them out. But I applied to the Secretary of State, 
And uh, they said normally it takes a week to two weeks to get an answer back. Well, they answered back in 48 hours with a confirmation and a certificate, and I was blown away. So now in the state of Texas, we're a nonprofit, and our 501c3 is pending with the IRS right now. So as soon as we get that back, then we'll be a national nonprofit, Mm -hmm. which will allow us to write for grants, do more education, do more public awareness, and uh, teach people and bring bring up the awareness level so they know to ask for help. Because the biggest thing right now is victims don't even know where to go. No, you don't. I'm just going to assume, especially if you've been beaten down, you don't ha- you don't really have any contact, and you don't know what to do or how to get out of this situation, especially if you're financially dependent upon someone. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, because of your most victims are isolated. Uh, from friends and family. Most victims don't have any recent work experience, so they don't have any any availability to go out and get a job because without recent experience, how are you going to get a job? So then financially, they don't have the money to uh, get out of it. Four, they don't want to lose their kids. Five, they uh, don't want to lose the financial stability that they've got because then it reverts right back to number one, they're isolated. Number two, they don't have any work experience. So in the victim's mind, how are they going to get their kids, retain their kids if they walk out because they don't know that there's resources out there that will help them, Uh, even to the point of like two weeks ago, I had to go get a a lady. I went and rescued a a woman and a one-year-old child, and uh, she was in fear, called us. We went. We got her. We took her to uh, one of the local shelters here. For 48 hours, we got her into another organization that uh, she's gone now. She They relocated her. They're going to put her in a six-month program to wean her off the drugs, to get her back uh, social, you know, medically fit and uh, get her some hands-on skills, get her a job and a, and a way to live independent of her abuser. And uh, the only way I know she's okay now is because... She just called this past weekend and said, listen, I want to say thank you for what you did. She said, uh, this will be the last time I can call you for at least six months. I want to let you know that the uh, organization did pick us up. We are at a safe house, and uh, I'll be here for six months with the baby. They're going to get me drug-free. They're going to get me back to physically to where I'm fit, uh, mentally where I'm fit, and give me some hands-on training and skills so I can support me and the baby. It was, it almost makes me want to cry again because uh, it was really, it really was uh, devastational to walk into that household and see what she was in because the husband had evidently picked up the baby because he was crying. One hand over his mouth, one hand behind his head, went down the hallway, tossed him into a closet and closed the door. That was when she went to the bathroom and called us. Because that was at the point it was like no more. Right, because now now it wasn't just her being abused. It was the baby. I think that's when a lot of a lot of people break. You know, that's when it's like, okay, this is it. No right. more. And I, the mother instinct takes over, and now it's no longer. You know, you can take you can take beatings every day of your life, but if somebody hurts your child. That's the breaking point. That's the that's the glass ceiling breaking, you know. Mm-hmm. So we were able to uh, get her out, get her into safety, and now she's in a much better place. And 
I look forward to hearing from her in six months, and hopefully she's uh, made a lot of achievements. Made a lot, yeah. made a lot of achievements, and able to live independently again. Our guest this morning is Don Foster. He's the founder of Angel Eyes Foundation. So when you first uh, first set up your foundation and got started, how did people find you? Well, it was mostly by Facebook, and we go down on uh, Frio Street. We hand out cards. We go to the different churches and hand out cards. We've been down on Presa, but we go down. We actually do street stuff. We go out and talk to people and hand out the cards. Uh, the main way people have found us is on Facebook. It's it's amazing. We started a Facebook page uh, three months ago, and we have over 400 followers. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty amazing that we've got that many people that are interested in what we do. And then we have a website as well. So when someone contacts you, I mean, how does the conversation go? Well, when they, when they contact me, you know, they, I answer, you know, I obviously answer our 800 number Angel Eyes Foundation and they'll begin to tell what, you know, why they called or they'll tell me their name and I'll ask them, okay, how can we help you? Are you in immediate danger? Are you needing help? What, uh, what is the situation? They'll begin to tell their story. And the one thing that we want to do is we want to give safe haven. Uh, we want to give a safe haven, a place for people that don't report it. There's a lot of people out there that report abuse every, every day or every so often. The problem that we run into and the way we're working with SAPD and I want, I'm meeting with uh, the sheriff on Friday is we want to reach the unreported victims. The victims that don't report, which are mostly white-collar victims or the blue-collar wives that uh, are afraid to report, those are the ones we want to reach out and get their, to help them out of the situation they're in. Let me ask you why they don't report. They're afraid of humility. They're afraid of losing their lifestyle. They're because the husbands, it's normally the husbands, but we do have some men who are victims. Um, the breadwinner. Let me instead of saying the husband, let me say the breadwinner of the family usually, like I said, threatens to take the kids, threatens to take away all their cars, threaten to take away all their, their lifestyle. And what these people don't realize is there are options out there to be able to maintain that. If and for every everyone that's list everyone that hears this, the one thing I want people to know is if you're a victim and you have children. The court will look upon the abuser as an abuser. So the victim who's being threatened with their kids being taken away, unless it's a proven fact that you are not worthy or unfit, you are going to have visitation. You could end up with custody. These are these are idle threats that they make to control you. Mm-hmm. So, so you you really you don't know you don't know that he's just he or she is just blowing smoke. Right, and that's what bullies do. An abuser is a bully. They bully you around, they push you around, they threaten you with things that they can't always do. And because you don't have people on your side, you don't know what's out there and you don't know what can happen for you. That's why we we as a group of bodyguards and private investigators will help and none of uh, any of the services we provide for our victims are free because we're a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So if a victim doesn't have the financial capability, we have the ability, well, based on our funds, based on our funding, we have the ability to go out and do investigations, do surveillance, do video surveillance. We have the ability to do all those things that they can pay for uh, that the victim cannot. Mm-hmm. We do that for the victim for free. 
when you do those things, are you watching? Uh, what are what are you doing that for to verify their story? Yes, ma'am. We want if um, if a victim comes to us and tells us they're being abused. Well, we find out what kind of abuse they're suffering. We find out uh, how they're being abused, and then we we determine a game plan to go out and catch the abuser doing it. That way, we don't just have the victim's word; we have evidence. Now, the abuser is no longer the king of the mountain. The abuser is going to find out that there is a court system, and how to bring them to justice is what we show the victim. And we work as liaisons with the victim, with the legal department and legal services to bring the abuser to justice. Tell me about some of your earlier cases where, you know, what the phone call was and what what you did, what you can tell me. Well, like I said, when a victim calls in, we get a name, we get a number. And the thing is, too, we don't the victim doesn't necessarily have to call us. As a nonprofit organization in the state of Texas, we applied to the secretary of state to be able to, if you call me and tell me that your sister or your daughter is being abused, we can take a statement from you and we can work on their behalf as opposed to being a regular private investigator. We can only work for you if you hire us. Oh, uh-huh. The Secretary of State gave us the authority to investigate on behalf of a third party to uncover the abuse and to help bring abusers to justice. That was a great monumental thing for us. So when you contact that person, the, the victim, what do you do then as far as, you know, we are going to rescue you to get you out of this situation? How does well, that work? Sometimes we don't notify them right up front. Sometimes we start building the case based on collecting statements and affidavits from people who, friends and family, who know what's going on. And then we, we try and have a family member introduce us so we can sit down at a mutual area like a Starbucks or something, and explain to them what their options are and what we can do for them. Sometimes they want our help. Sometimes they don't. If they don't want our help, then we have to refer back to the local law enforcement and say, listen, this is what we have, but they don't want help. At that point, you extract yourself from the matter? We do. Now they know what their options, they know they have options. If they choose to go back, and most do, I was thinking, you know, I think from previous interviews with people that it takes about nine times before someone actually, on average, I'm sure some people do it the first time, some people, you know, right. they, they, they keep going back. And that's very difficult for people never been in that situation to understand. So so you said they go back. They and I'm do. Sure that's, they go that's, back over and over and over. And we're there. I mean, we're going to keep the file. Uh, we're going to put that in the in the in the system. And when they call. We're always ready, and it may be four times, it may be five times, it might be nine times, it could be 20 times. And that's the one thing that's different between us and the PD. The PD gets tired of going to the same place time after time um, because we're working to end the end domestic and sexual abuse. We'll go back each time expectant to the fact that they're going to leave this time, but we know that there's a great chance that they won't. So we don't judge them by that. We only help them, counsel them while we're there. And if they they choose to go back, then we let them go back. If they choose to go, then we, we are ready to take them somewhere to get them help. And I've also heard that you are most at risk when you are leaving. Uh, someone who is abused, 
that's the most dangerous time for them is the leaving time. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. So how do you how do you plan for that? Being a bodyguard and and having investigators, I'm sure you have I guess a lot of a lot of knowledge about those situations and what to do. There's really not a knowledge base of how to get somebody out of a bad situation. There's a lot of techniques that's out there, but every individual, every male or every every abuser is different because you don't know what they're going what extremes are going to go to because you're taking something of theirs. It's like walking up to a a wild dog and trying to take the bone out of their mouth. I mean, you don't know to what extreme is this going to be a is this going to be a cat fight? Is it going to be a dog fight? Or are you going to tackle a grizzly bear? So you just have to prepare the best you can and ho- and try to time it so the abuser is not at home to mm-hmm. make the extraction mm-hmm. or to help them out of there. And we call for SAPD. We can call for Bear County to come back us up as a civil standby to make it easier. But the police, again, are so busy. The one I did a couple of weeks ago, they were 30 minutes behind schedule or 30 minutes. They you were, had to wait. You they had were to wait. backed up 30 minutes. We, had, we either had to choose to wait 30 minutes or go ahead and go in. Well, we went ahead and went in. Of course, I called the 911 operator and said, hey, listen, uh, we're faced with a situation here. We're going in. And she said, well, if, if it comes to an emergency, call me back. Thank you for letting me know. We'll keep this address on on the, the screen. We went in. We were able to get her uh, get her and the baby. In 10 minutes, we were gone. Called 911 back and said, hey, listen, this is Don with Angel Eyes Foundation. Uh, we've, cleared the, we've cleared that residence. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And she thanked us and Asked where we were going. I told her we were going down to uh, Haven for Hope to get her some food and get her some clothing or down to CAM. And then we were going to take her to a a shelter and get her a short-term shelter and get her into a long-term program. Mm -hmm. And it all worked out great. So far, we've not ever had a bad situation because first, we don't show up in uniform. We're people. We're an organization. Uh, So when we show up, at the end of that one, the husband even helped pack the bag, pack the baby's clothes and stuff because he knew after talking with us that our goal was to help both of or help all three of them, not just take her side. We were neutral. We were an organization. Uh, so we were able to get in without any conflict, get her, get the baby. He actually put the baby seat in the in my vehicle, strapped the baby in, and uh at the end of the thing, he said, thank you. He says, I really know I got to change if I'm going to get them back. Okay. So I was thinking, what do you do for him? Well, we offer him counseling as well. We offer, um, we offer him the option of finding, finding help, uh, through our network of providers and, uh, partnerships. Our goal is not to put everybody in jail. If the abuse is bad enough, then yeah, we want to see them put on paper. We want what's called a paper trail, uh, probation, something to make them change. If the abuse is not uh, warranted to that and they both are willing to work at it, then yeah, we'll, we'll offer counseling. We'll offer advocates that'll go out and visit with both of them individually or together and work with them and find them counseling, find them different uh, uh, support groups and stuff like that to make the change. But if it's a violent situation, then, yeah, they, they deserve to be on paper. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a very different situation. Right. Each case is handled differently. I mean, if 
everybody makes mistakes. I was one of those people. I didn't realize what I was doing when I was doing that. I wish somebody would have been there like me before because having a father who was an abusive person did not teach me well and did not straighten me out when I started getting older and messing up and only perpetuated the situation. So by having someone like myself, uh, like, well, my wife's children changed my life and then together we changed each other's lives. And now we hope to change multitudes of lives. Our guest this morning is Don Foster, founder of the Angel Eyes Foundation. How do people reach you? How can they help you? And what kind of help do you need? Well, everything is funding. I mean, it takes money to do these cases. Uh, anybody that's ever hired a private investigator, it's very expensive. Anybody that's done surveillance or had surveillance done, it's very expensive to work on behalf of the victim. Uh, so donations would be awesome. Uh, and we're looking for more board members as well. Uh, and you can find us at angelizefoundation.org or you can find us on Facebook at Angel Eyes Foundation. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a great organization. It's something I believe in and it's something that a lot of people believe in. We just need more help because uh, abuse is an epidemic, especially in, in this area uh, with the human trafficking and the domestic and sexual abuse of children. Uh, it's, it's very scary the times we've been to the schools and met with children. Seven out of 10 are somehow abused domestically or sexually. Kids at 12, 13, 14 years old being coerced into having sex and doing things that uh, is just, I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling to me, but they do it to fit in and these are things that, you know, we want to work on. We want to work on changing that. Changing it and making a difference. Yes, ma'am. Well, thank you for coming by this morning. Don Foster, Angel Eyes Foundation. Thank you so much.